0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Place of our regular music today, you hear music from The Searchers, great John Ford and John Wayne movie, one of more than 800 movies filmed in Utah, pumping hundreds of millions of dollars into the Utah economy. Beginning in 1913 and then beginning in earnest with the Perry Brothers in the Cedar City area and up to the present time, James Dark, curator of BYU Motion Picture Archive, Uh, has uh, penned a book, When Hollywood Came to Town, A History of Movie Making in Utah. And we'll spend the hour today with James Dark. We'll hear clips from several famous movies shot in Utah. On the program today, we'll ask you if you have an experience with movie making in Utah. James Dark, our guest, movie making in Utah, follows the news. Support for Access Utah comes from Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Open Monday through Saturday until 2 with a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. The following is an encore presentation. However, we
1: would like you to participate with this conversation. You can do so at upr.org or on our Facebook page or on Twitter with hashtag AccessUtah.
0: Johnny. Four weeks. Twenty papers. That's two dollars. Plus tip. Uh, gee, Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. Didn't ask for a dime. Two dollars. Well, uh, it's funny. See, my mom had to leave early to take my, my brother to school and my dad to work because... Two dollars. Cash. See, the problem here is is that my little brother this morning got his arm caught in the microwave and... And, uh, my grandmother dropped acid, and she freaked out and hijacked a school bus full of penguins. So it's kind of a family crisis, so we'll come back later? Great. I want my $2! $2! I want my $2! Movie making in Utah. Uh, More than 800 films have been filmed in Utah uh, since the 1930s, and uh, then it uh, got uh, going in earnest with the Perry Brothers near Cedar City and continues to the present day, of course, has pumped millions and millions of dollars into the Utah economy. Utah was uh, one of the first, of course, now most states have a film commission, and there's fierce competition. Uh, Until a couple of years ago, there had been no history of movie making in Utah. James Dark, who is curator of uh, BYU Motion Picture Archive, has remedied that and now out with a second edition of the book, When Hollywood Came to Town. And Better Off Dead was the movie we heard the famous clip from there, and uh, the movies run the gamut in Utah. We're going to talk about it. We're going to spend the hour with James Dark and hear some clips from some of the movies as well. James Dark, welcome to the program.
1: It's wonderful to be with you, and it's a uh, it's a fun topic to talk about.
0: And I think a lot of us know the, that famous clip there, $2. I want my $2. There's, there's some, right. some iconic, uh, you know, I think of Planet of the Apes, uh, famous speeches there. It, it, the list goes on and on. And uh, sometimes we don't know that these movies were made in Utah.
1: And you have hit the point right on the button. The big surprise that my readers get, as long as the book has been out, is, well, I know films like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or Planet of the Apes, or even The Greatest Story Ever Told. I've I've seen these films. I had no idea that they were made in whole or in part in Utah. Or even a film for classic film lovers, like Drums Along the Mohawk, about the Revolutionary War, starring Henry Fonda and Claudette Colbert. They're even more astonished to hear that that wasn't filmed in upper New York State, but it was filmed just five miles east of Cedar Breaks in Iron County, in the Alpine Mountains of Utah.
0: Hmm. And in fact, and I was uh, watching in another interview, you did, you were talking about the fact that uh, some of these pristine areas are no longer pristine, they no longer look the way they did, so watching these beautiful areas of Utah on film, uh, this is preserving the history of Utah.
1: You can see how Utah looked to generations of people who were here before we were. Uh, In fact, one of the more interesting areas that has been overrun is a wonderful resort area called Duck Creek up on Cedar Mountain above Cedar City that's now full of vacation homes. But when you watch the films uh, My Friend Flicka or Thunderhead Son of Flicka, you will see these beautiful expansive meadows with a stream running through it. Well, that's the way people knew it for five generations before all the vacation homes ended up being there.
0: So you can watch the movie and see how uh, Utah used to be in some of these these areas. That's
1: correct, and this is a case that I make for especially Utahns appreciating their movie history, because by preserving certain uh, Hollywood films made in Utah, we are, in fact, preserving Utah history. Hmm.
0: You make the case that um, this ties into tourism, that uh, people from around the world uh, sometimes come to Utah just to see spot X, Y, or Z in, in whatever movie.
1: I, I, I make the case that these Hollywood movies filmed in Utah are a Hollywood-paid celluloid postcard that goes all over the world at their expense— Uh, to advertise the wonders and beauties of Utah. And back in the old days of the 20s, 30s, 40s, and even into the late 50s, uh, tourists were allowed to come up and watch filming going on. For example, uh, Clint Walker, uh, who was a big Western star of the hit TV series Cheyenne, made his first film in Kanab called Fort Dogs with uh, Virginia Mayo and Brian Keith, 1957. It was uh, estimated by the uh, uh, Publicity Department of Utah that tourism in that part of the state increased 35% during the summer that that film and other films were being shot there, and that over 4,000 cars a day were going through Panav at that Mm. time. So imagine all those people watching all of this, getting the, the magic of Hollywood into their system, and then going home and saying, we're going on another vacation to Utah. So a history of movie making in Utah is not just a uh, anecdotal, fun history of movies, but it really is a, a, a vital history of what's gone on in our state for at least 100 years.
0: What are some of the popular spots nowadays with, with, connected with movies that people come from around the world to, to see?
1: Well, most of them occur in northern Utah, between Salt Lake City and Ogden. uh, In the old days, much of the activity was occurring in Southern Utah. St. George, Kanab, uh, especially Moab. And uh, with a lot of the land restrictions imposed by Grand Staircase, Escalante, and other things, environmental laws, fewer and fewer areas are available in Southern Utah for movie making, although most of John Carter, the recent film, was shot in southern Utah. But westerns have been on the decline, and so hundreds of TV movies and TV series episodes have been made in the Salt Lake City area and the environs, Park City, uh, near Ogden. And the book documents uh, all of these more than you could ever hope to remember, beginning in the 1970s and continuing on until today.
0: And I think we, at least I have the Maybe misconception that the, most of this is in still today in southern Utah. You're saying that it's all over the state.
1: It, it really is, and uh, but there, um, uh, the Salt Lake City and its environs were virtually ignored mm-hmm. in the 20s, 30s, and 40s because that isn't where westerns were made. Mm-hmm. When that genre went into a decline, then Salt Lake City and surrounding areas really picked up in production because of contemporary dramas that were usually the subjects of TV movies and TV series. So it's had a fascinating history, and now other states have realized what a great boon to their state's economy movie-making can be. So in the last 20 to 30 years, uh, all the states, uh, predominantly being Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Michigan, North Carolina, have passed laws to give incentives to motion picture companies coming into their states in the form of tax rebates. And up until recently, Michigan was the most competitive by returning to the movie companies 42% of money that they documented had been spent in the state. Well, Michigan has had economic problems lately, and they've rescinded that very generous rebate. Utah's percentage is 25%.
0: Is is that pretty typical? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh,
1: right. In terms of Arizona and New Mexico, that is that is very competitive. But what filmmakers like about the state of Utah is that even though their percentage isn't as generous as many other states, they love Utah for the landscape, but particularly for the people. There is a tremendous pool of skilled talent, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, that makes fewer people that the production studios have to bring from Hollywood and that that saves them money and it also gives them a very competent crew of local people for whom they don't have to pay uh, lodging per diems and other transportation expenses but Utah's have been involved in the movie business for many, many years, and the and the production companies like a skilled workforce helps them to come in on time and under budget.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important. Uh, we're talking with James Stark. Uh, he's out with a second edition of his book, "When Hollywood Came to Town: A History of Movie Making in Utah." We're going to be hearing some clips from various movies uh, and uh, talking about movie making in Utah. A little later in the program, we'll go back to the beginnings with the Perry Brothers. Very interesting story there. How the how those brothers went out and uh, and attracted movies to the Cedar City ar- area. Uh, if you would like to join the conversation, we hope that you will. Maybe you have an experience with the movies. Uh, seems like a lot of people in Utah do. Uh, they've been involved in at least one movie. Uh, or uh, have a family history perhaps of, of helping with the movies in Utah. We'd love to hear that history. And you can reach us by email at upPRaccessgmail.com, UPRaccess at We do have an email from Steve McIntyre, our friend in Beaver Dam, Arizona. Here's what Steve says. I was motorcycling through the Duck Creek area about three weeks ago, coming from Bryce Canyon, heading to Cedar Breaks and Bryan Head. And yes, there certainly is a flourishing vacation colony there, but I dare say you could still make a film depicting unsettled meadows, woods, and creeks there if you set your mind to it. (laughs) That's what Steve says. Thanks for that, uh, Steve. So I guess... uh, you know, there's, there's vacation homes there, but maybe you could still film out in Duck Creek area.
1: Well, there are plenty of meadows, that's to be sure. Uh, I was referring to the pristine area that the movie companies chose uh, to do uh, the Flicka films as well as others that really suited the, uh, the look of how they wanted a Western to look like. And that area that they chose more than a few times uh, is now covered. And the Duck Creek area is um, is still a gorgeous area to go. It's the it's just that in preserving these motion pictures, you can have a very good idea of what it looked like once upon a time. Another area like this is Kanab Canyon, where the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary is. Dozens of movies were made there, including the feature film version of the Lone Ranger with Clayton Moore and Jay Silverheels from the television series. And much of that was made in Canab Canyon, but you would hardly recognize it nowadays because it's full of vegetation and full of trees, which mm. it wasn't at the time it was made. Because the Robinson family uh, grazed cattle down there, and you could easily see Canab Creek. Well, you can't see it anymore. Mm.
0: And uh, there are some changes in movie making because of the national parks, aren't there? You, you can't you can't film on some of these areas anymore.
1: That's correct. Uh, and in fact, the folks in Kane County were very irate with the uh, administrative uh, decree that created Grand staircase Escalante. N- not because they don't think that the area is beautiful enough for an area like that, but they weren't really consulted. And it cut off considerable acreage that had been used for motion picture work. Uh, and f- further sealed the fate of that area for major motion pictures being made there. And some might say, well, that's really a good thing because movie companies just tear up the land and ruin it, and then they leave. Well, once upon a time, decades ago, that may have been the case. But for the most part, my research has shown that the movie companies are very deferential to the local public and to – the land that they use, and they clean up very, very well. One of the reasons being they want to return and make some more. That that was the case in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s. And uh, they did a great job of doing that. And plus, the money that was used by the locals who were paid uh, extraordinary salaries allowed them to pay off mortgages, send kids to school, and allowed them to do things that uh, you know cattle ranching and farming they weren't able to do before they they loved the movie uh, makers coming to town
0: in fact you have you have a quote I've, I've heard you give uh, from uh, I think a rancher down in that area
1: oh a great uh, Carl Tangren is his name and he was a moab rancher and I uh, I was talking to him about what it was like to work with John Wayne. And then I asked him the general question. And I said, Carl, on the whole, and you've been here many, many years, on the whole, was movie making a good thing or a bad thing for you folks? And he just uh, looked at me and he said, you know, we, we really like the movie companies coming here because all they take are pictures and all they leave is money. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah that sums it up it's 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 a very good industry
1: it really does and you know from time to time and I document some of these in the book uh, there were problems um, with the locals sometimes local extras got a little uh, ambitious and wanted more money and would stage strikes and then some of the other locals would sit down and reason with them and say you know this this has been a great thing that's been happening a long time let's Let's be sure we're not getting too greedy, and they would resolve the issue and go on. But that wasn't unique to Utah. That happened in many areas where the movie companies went to make movies, and the differences were resolved, and things went forward. But for the most part, uh, the Utah populace was exemplary in terms of how they dealt with the movie companies. Otherwise, they wouldn't have come back so often since the mid-1920s.
0: We're going to take a brief break here, and uh, we're talking with James Dark. He's author of When Hollywood Came to Town, A History of Movie Making in Utah. And uh, we'll, we'll go back to the beginnings with the Perry Brothers when we come back, and then we'll, of course, through the hour, uh, bring it up to, uh, to current times. Uh, such movies as SLC Punk and, uh, and some of the uh, the Mormon films that have been filmed in, in Utah. And, uh, of course, the the great history of John Ford and John Wayne, Monument Valley, and all those uh, movies. There's a great history. More than 800 films have been uh, made in Utah since 1913. Hundreds of millions of dollars pumped into the Utah economy. James Dark has updated his uh, history of movie making in Utah. Uh, Let's uh, go out to the break here with a little bit uh, from the movie John Carter, which Mr. Dark uh, uh, mentioned. It's a more modern movie and we'll hear some more clips from the movies as we as we go along we have a couple more listener comments and questions we'll get to those as well following the break we are strong because we despise weakness
1: let them be crushed like unhatched eggs
0: The opening notes of Beethoven's Fifth and a rabbit named Oolong balancing a pancake on his head have in common. They're memes, units of culture that are imitated and, as a result, copied from one brain to another. I'm Jim Fleming. Next time on To the Best of Our Knowledge, Why We Are All Meme Machines. It's To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRI, Public Radio International.
1: Sunday mornings at 9 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Waste not. Wash your pets outdoors in an area of your lawn that needs water. Another way to conserve water: use a broom instead of a hose to clean sidewalks and driveways. Waste not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org/publicworks. You're listening to Access Utah, and we're revisiting Conversation with James Dark. Movie making in Utah. This was broadcast 1st August of last year. And you'll be hearing some comments from listeners then, but you have an opportunity to comment now. And we'd love to hear your experiences with movie making Utah. Perhaps you were an extra or part of a growing crew, um, film crew industry in, in Utah. Love to get your experiences, and you can join us here, even though we're on tape today. We'll get your comments on in the next break. Uh, The place to go is upraxess at gmail.com, upraxess at gmail.com, or you can go to our Utah Public Radio Facebook page.
1: His name was Jeremiah Johnson. They say he wanted to be a mountain man. Story goes that he was a man of proper wit and adventurous spirit suited to the mountains. Nobody knows whereabouts he come from, and don't seem to matter much. He was a young man, and ghosty stories about the tall hills didn't scare him none. He was looking for a Hawkin gun, a fifty caliber or better. He settled for a 30, but damn it was a genuine Hawkin. You couldn't go no better bought him a good horse and traps and another truck that went with being a mountain man and said goodbye to whatever life was down there below.
0: Just where is it I could find bear, beaver and other
1: critters worth cash money when skinned? Ride due west as the sun sets. Turn left at the Rocky Mountains.
0: This is his story. Jeremy. And of course, a clip from Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, that's one of the movies. More than 800 filmed in Utah. Hundreds of millions of dollars filled, uh, pumped in Utah's economy. Uh, there had never been a history of movie making in Utah until James Dark, curator of the Motion Picture Archive at BYU, came along. Uh, a couple of years ago, he wrote When Hollywood Came to Town, a history of movie making. Utah is out with the second edition of the book. And we're spending the hour with James Dark talking about movie making in Utah. Uh, James Stark, Jeremiah Johnson, other Robert Redford movies important to uh, Utah's economy as well. That's uh, that brought Robert Redford to to Utah and, and Sundance and then and the rest of it.
1: Well, you know, Robert Redford uh, has has a uh, uh, interesting and sometimes controversial legacy in the state of Utah, and yet he did more to bring uh, a renaissance of movie making to Utah than anyone else, really, because as you accurately observed. He was the one who brought 20th Century Fox and director George Roy Hill to film most of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in Washington County uh, in the environs of Zion National Park. And after that was made, that was the ultimate buddy film that spawned so many more that we even have today. That was such a popular film that... uh, the amount of filmmaking increased in the state of Utah, and he brought many of his own films, uh, like Jeremiah Johnson, uh, The Electric Horseman, and others, to the state of Utah. And then ultimately founding the Sundance Film Festival and the Sundance Film Institute, uh, both of which are now legendary. They're fixtures in the state of Utah. Mm-hmm.
0: How did uh, How did Robert Redward know about about Utah and, and that this would be a good location for, for Butch casting Sundance Kid?
1: drove through it in the 60s on his way to the uh to the west coast and was so fascinated by the beauty of the area that he looked into it uh even more and that began a real love affair and then purchasing property which was called wildwood up uh, provo canyon and with the uh, uh exceptional uh, money that he made from butch cassidy he and paul newman bought the area that is now the uh, Sundance Resort and then eventually Redford bought Newman out and owned it outright. So it was a great story. And then he started uh, conceiving of film projects where um, his property could be used. And of course, Jeremiah Johnson is seen in uh, the, the his property is seen in much of Jeremiah Johnson, including that wonderful glacier behind uh, Mount Timpanogos for those great winter
0: scenes. I wonder, uh, you talked about the fierce competition nowadays, and uh, you know, Michigan had their you know, rebate up to 42% or something. You said Utah was around 25%. Uh, some of the western states, including Utah, do they, do they have to kick in as much? It, it would seem to me that uh, there are just some natural advantages. You can come to Utah and you could film any kind of movie here in Utah, just traveling a few miles in one direction or the other.
1: Well, and that has historically been the great attraction to Utah, uh, particularly in the Kane County area where you have alpine forests, you have uh, wind-driven sand dunes, and you can have miles and miles of open prairie. But the nature of competition is fierce. Um, I know New Mexico has built studio facilities so that uh, when the production companies come into the area, they can do interiors as well as exteriors. Uh, so it's not just the rebate amount that is attractive. It is all the other kinds of facilities that are being offered to these movie companies. But again, Utah remains, uh, I believe, in a competitive edge because of the experienced talent pool here, cinematographers, makeup. Um, uh, grips, gaffers, all these other people, as, as well as extras and other acting talent. Very attractive.
0: We have a couple of questions from a, a listener that, that actually fit very nicely right here. Uh, the first question, recently it was announced that uh, they're going to build a movie studio in Park City. How will this change the future of films in Utah?
1: It will provide a magnet, an additional inducement for these companies to come to Utah so that they can do as much of their work as they can in the state. And for Utah, the attraction is that means more money left in the state and an infrastructure of film production that will draw even, uh, even more filmmakers to the state. That's, that's a wonderful thing when a studio facility can be built.
0: By the way this is Steve and Logan his second question the Utah legislature was considering changing tax rates for film companies to encourage more movies to film here are they still working on this Do you know They are always
1: working on that and that uh, as Marshall Moore who is the uh, director of the Utah Film Commission will tell you they they are always campaigning for better economic circumstances so as to attract the movie industry. And and the great boon there is these are good, clean dollars that are coming into the state. Uh, there is no industrial waste. There is no real adverse uh, environmental impact. This is just great money that goes to hundreds of businesses in the state and benefits them. So. Uh, with with every dollar of incentive that the state offers, you get uh, an exponential amount of financial return. It's just good business.
0: We're talking with James Dark, author of "When Hollywood Came to Town: A History of Movie Making in Utah." It's out in its second edition. What have you uh, tell me about the beginnings? And it, this begins with the Perry Brothers, right, in, in Southern Utah. Uh, how how did they get the idea? And, and what happened, that they, they brought a movie, and I guess that started things, to Utah?
1: Well, 30 years ago, when I started doing this as a transplant from California, it was the Perry Brothers story that was the hook that has kept me going all this time before I actually put the book together two years ago. The Perrys, uh, Chauncey, Whitney, and Granway, were uh, Salt Lake City natives, who moved to Cedar City in the early years of the 20th century and founded a number of businesses in Cedar City. But one of those that changed the nature of the movie business in Utah was when they bought the transportation concession in about 1916 to uh, what was then known as Zion National Monument. In other words, they would take the tourists around in these open-air buses and show them the park. Well, during the winter months, there uh, there wasn't much to do. And so Chauncey um, uh, Perry, who had been a pilot in World War One, began flying his plane around the area, taking pictures, and he would take the train to Hollywood in the winter and, uh, like a door-to-door salesman, go to the various studios and say, "Look, look at this beautiful land that we've got here. Well, eventually, in 1924... He sold the great Western actor Tom Mix on the idea of coming up to Cedar City and uh, basing a film there, which was called The Deadwood Coach. Now, Tom Mix was the biggest Western star of the 1920s. There was just no one even close to him. So to have Mix come and make a film in Utah was a big event. A rodeo was staged, a big parade in Cedar City, and the film was made in Bryce Canyon, in Zion National Park, and areas around Grafton and uh, in the Grand Canyon. Sadly, the film does not exist, but the impact of that film, Made in Utah, showed Hollywood producers, gee, we we don't have to keep using the same locations in california which our audiences are just getting tired of for westerns that began the rush to utah the perrys then bought an old farmhouse in canab converted it into a what they called a tourist lodge and the perry lodge which exists today in canab became the headquarters for more than, oh, 120 movies made in that area from the early 1930s up to the late 70s. The Perry story is a supreme Horatio Alger, Utah story that very few people knew that I didn't know until I started doing research. And it is to them that goes the credit for this uh, incredible movie business that's been going on in Utah ever since.
0: And I suppose this could have been a story You know, set in Nevada or New Mexico or Colorado. It happened to be the Perry Brothers. It really
1: could have been set anywhere, but because of the entrepreneurial genius of these three Utahns, uh, they got it going in the state of Utah. And in fact, if you if you stay in Perry Lodge, you will see movie star photos uh, covering the wall of the lobby and the restaurant with signatures of folks that include uh, Charlton Heston, Tyrone Power, Gregory Peck, Maureen O'Hara, Randolph Scott—it's—it's it's a real tour through the uh, the past that attests to the legacy of, of movie making down there.
0: Now you say that you know, it's a clean industry. I think people generally, from the beginning, were pleased with this. The the one rancher told you all they all they take is pictures, and all they leave was is money. Uh, have there been? bad experiences uh, people ever expressed to you uh boy I'd wish they hadn't come to town
1: i never came across that uh to be frank and and i was going down to moab and canab and saint george numerous times to do interviews with locals and uh i didn't encounter anybody who didn't think there were favorable aspects to the movie companies coming Yes, some people felt inconvenienced when all the motel rooms were filled and family couldn't come to town. Uh, Some of them didn't like these outsiders coming in and the possible negative impact that these Californians and others would have on these small towns in Utah. I found that to be a minority, though. Mm. And and I'll tell you something else, and this is a tribute to communities uh, such as St. George and Moab and Kanab. When the movie companies had their heyday in Kane County uh, from the mid-20s to the late-70s, for most of that time, Kanab had a population of only 1,350 people. Now it's more than 4,000. 1,350. And at times, they entertained five different movie companies during a shooting season, which normally went from July through October. That can stress a town tremendously, not only in terms of resources, uh, but in patience as well. And the testimonials that I've had from film directors and producers and crew members about how helpful the locals were, even under trying circumstances, were just amazing. And I'll tell you one of them. I, I interviewed a, a significant producer in Hollywood by the name of Howard Koch in the mid-1970s. He produced uh, the Airplane Movies and Ghost with Whoopi Goldberg. He became a very big wheel at Paramount. When I interviewed him in 1975, he told me the love affair he had with the people of Canab and a particular contact man there who was a rancher who facilitated work with the movie companies, with the locals. His name was Faye Hamblin. And he said, Koch said, when he went up there to make his first film in 1953, he had mortgaged his home to pay for the completion of the production. And on the first day, it started snowing. And he said, Faye, I don't don't know if you're a religious person or not, but I think we need to say, say a prayer because if it doesn't stop snowing, we're going to delay the production of this film by many days. I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to go broke. So Koch was telling me, all these years later, we bowed our heads. We silently said our prayer. Then we opened our eyes and looked around, and it stopped stopped snowing. And he said, I looked at Faye, and he looked at me, and I said to him, was it your prayer or was it mine? (laughs) And they got the production done under budget, and Howard Koch came back to make 10 feature films in the Canab area that included the film Sergeant's Three with Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack in 1962. And the people loved Howard Koch. Koch loved the people. And when Faye Hamlin passed away in the 1970s, Howard Koch, now a big producer at Paramount, flew his own plane to Canab and delivered the eulogy for Faye Hamlin. Now, that is how close the connection became between the Hollywood studios, and not just the landscapes, but the people of Utah. And there are stories like that in St. George and in Moab as well. Hmm. It was a personal connection.
0: We're talking with James Dark, who is curator of BYU Motion Picture Archive and author of When Hollywood Came to Town, A History of Movie Making in Utah that's uh, out with a second edition now. We're talking about, obviously, movie making in Utah. We're going to take a brief break now, and uh, we'll come back and talk about uh, some more current movies in Utah and uh, talk about some movies that not only were filmed in Utah, but are about Utah and Utahns. So there's uh, been sort of a revival of uh, Utah, uh, local Utah movie making in recent years. And uh, why don't we... Uh, why do we go out to this break with a clip from Thelma and Louise. It's an iconic uh, place here. Uh, Jim Stark, Thelma and Louise, that, that final scene, is that Dead Horse Point? Where, where is that?
1: Well, it's, it's not far from Dead Horse Point, mm. but it's it's an area that is fairly difficult to get to. But uh, one of the locals there uh, uh, took me to the point where the car was uh, supposed to have gone off the, <laughs> off the cliff into the Colorado River, and it's it's a gorgeous spot. Mm-hmm. But it's not far from Dead Horse
0: Point. And Dead Horse Point has been featured in many movies. Uh, there, there's a memorable scene that it still gives me vertigo when I see it. It's uh, one of the Mission Impossible films. Uh, Tom Cruise, of course, he's not actually, I don't think, <laughs> dangling from Dead Horse Point, but they're, they're imposing that uh, spectacular um, cliff uh, on, on his stunt. Um, yes. And that's yes, just so one breathtaking, example. And that
1: yeah. and that was used to begin the film.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, before we go to go to break uh, that brings to mind uh, something else I, I know you've said um, an example of how uh, a location a spectacular uh, view can uh, really impose itself on a movie and you talk about stagecoach and the fact that the Monument Valley scene is only a, a few seconds of the movie
1: it's phenomenal that when photographs are used, to when someone is writing or talking about Stagecoach, you get that tremendous, it looks almost like an aerial view of those famous sandstone sentinels called the Mittens in Monument Valley. And those scenes comprised 90 seconds or 1% of the entire movie. And yet the impact of those few minutes in that film, which was predominantly shot on California locations, by the way, uh, made Monument Valley iconic and made Stagecoach a signature film when you talk about making movies in Utah. That's how arresting uh, the landscape of Utah can be. It also occurred in, a, in, a, in another film, the big biblical epic from 1965, The Greatest Story Ever Told, directed by George Stevens. Um, all of that, all of it was filmed in Utah. So when you see Charlton Heston as John the Baptist baptizing the early Christian converts, he's baptizing them in the Colorado River near Lake Powell, or what was to become Lake Powell, because that was filmed in 1963 as the water was filling up after the Glen Canyon Dam had been built. And when Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount, it's not in, uh, it's not in Jerusalem. It is actually Grand View Point, in Canyonlands National Park. So the entire movie was filmed in the state of Utah, and the sets for the city of Jerusalem, which were built next to the shore of the Colorado River as the waters were rising, uh, many of those sets were left there. So Utah has the distinguishing feature of having an Atlantis in its own state, Mm -hmm. an underwater city, And it's the underwater city of at least part of the sets that
0: comprise Jerusalem for that film. Well, more with James Dark following a break, and uh, I'm sure we'll all be visualizing that uh, beautiful scenery near the Colorado River. This clip from Thelma Louise as we go to break. You're not going to give up on me, are you? What do you mean? You're not going to make a deal with that guy? I mean, I just want to know. Tell me, I'm not making any deals. I mean, i don't understand if you're thinking about it. In a way you got something to go back for. Jimmy. You know. Jim is not an option. But um uh, I don't know, you know. Something's like crossed over in me. I can't go back. I mean, I just couldn't live. I know. I know what you mean. Anyway, don't want to end up on the damn Geraldo show. Yeah. Uh, they're charging us with murder. Yeah, they say that we got to figure out if we want to come in dead or alive. Gosh, didn't he say anything positive at all? This week in This American Life. Excuse me. Sorry to bother you. But I just have to tell you. I love your voice. Excuse me. I'm sorry to bother you. But I just have to tell you. I love your... Excuse me. The episode that we did on stage and beamed into movie theaters everywhere, Tignotaro and others, this week.
1: Friday mornings at 3 and Sunday afternoons at 2 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Waste not. Do not overwater your grass. If the grass bounces back a few steps later, then things are just fine. If your footprints stay halfway or all the way down, then it's time to drag out the hose. Though we suggest checking to see if rain is in the
1: forecast first.
0: Waste Not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org publicworks. I have to ask you something. Yeah, go ahead, ask me. Well,
1: why do you go out of your way to look
0: like a bum? I look like a bum?
1: Well, not in a bad way. I,
0: mean- I look like a bum in a good way.
1: Aren't you like rebelling against society?
0: Put that simply, kind.
1: Wouldn't it be more of an act of rebellion if you didn't spend so much time buying blue hair dye and going out to get punky clothes? It seems so petty. And stop me if I'm being offensive, but right?
0: Oh no, go right ahead. <laughs> it's that's fine.
1: You want to be an individual, right? You look like you're wearing a uniform. I mean you look like a punk. That's not rebellion. That's fashion.
0: Then what's rebellion?
1: Rebellion happens in the mind. You can't
0: create it. You just are that way. We're talking with James Dark, curator of uh, the Motion Picture uh, Archive at Brigham Young University, an author of When Hollywood Came to Town, A History of Movie Making in Utah. We're hearing some clips from movies. Uh, There's a movie which was not only filmed in Utah, it was about uh, Utah in, in many ways, SLC Punk. And, uh, uh, there has been, James Stark, a sort of a, a resurgence of uh, movies uh, made about Utah culture. There's the Mormon uh, movie revival and, and some other movies made about Utah, not only filmed in Utah.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because Utah and movie making just isn't uh, composed of westerns and the John Ford uh, mystique. Uh, it deals with Utah itself. Uh, I think of the 1982. Uh, big-budgeted, big-publicized television movie, The Executioner's Song, about the, uh, about the life and death of the real-life Gary Gilmore at the point of the mountain from Norman Mailer's book. And in that very same year was Side by Side, the Osmond story. I mean, can you imagine a starker contrast than that? Well, maybe, perhaps, Salt Lake City Punk. (laughs) That may do it. Uh, There was also a TV movie with uh, uh, Mark Harmon as the uh, serial killer Ted Bundy. That was filmed in Utah as well. And then uh, there was a film in 1981, a television movie, uh, with Diane Lane and a very young Helen Hunt called Child Bride of Short Creek, about the raids in southern Utah and Hilldale during the uh, the polygamy raids in the early 1950s. So Utah has been the subject uh, and the landscape of many of Utah's own stories in movies and in television movies.
0: What do you think the, the role of movies about a place, uh, for example... Uh you know, something like SLC punk. what What role do you think that plays in the local culture and understanding that we have about ourselves Does that hold an important place?
1: Well, I think it imparts a certain validation to an image that's being presented. Uh, I must say when I started doing research on the book, I didn't even know Salt Lake City Punk. and it turned out to be one of the most unusual movies that I, that I had ever seen made in the state of Utah. Uh, because uh, it, uh, it testified to a part of the local culture that uh, uh, most people wouldn't read readily acknowledge or recognize.
0: Hmm. Uh, were there special surprises as you started out doing this research? You mentioned the Perry brothers. You know, not many people have known about that history. Other, other surprises?
1: Yes, there was. And one of the biggest ones that when I'm at book signings that my readers talk about being astonished is a 1947 film, a Western, called Ramrod, starring the, the, the very then-famous Joel McCrae, Veronica Lake. And it was all filmed inside Zion National Park, beautifully filmed and directed by Andre de Toff, who made a lot of films, uh, film noirs, uh, these gritty, mean-street detective films of the 1940s. Well, this was a Western but it's very brutal, very realistic, and was a very big production. And in 1947, Utah was celebrating its centennial, and someone in the Utah state legislature said, well, why don't we pass a resolution making Ramrod Utah's centennial film? Well, they did that. And then the controversy began. (sighs) Some people saw the film. In the legislature, and said, "Wait a minute! This is this is a violent western. We shouldn't be having a violent western as Utah Centennial film." And an actual controversy broke out in the Utah State Legislature. Some called it hamrod instead of ham uh, ramrod, <laughs> but nevertheless, in February of 1947, there was a big star-studded premiere in Salt Lake City. 50 stars came, radio broadcasts had their origins in Salt Lake City, and it turned out to be a very, very big deal. But how many people in 2012 know that Utah had a centennial movie?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't. I, I love that line, Hamrod. Is, is it a, <laughs> I guess that was that was a review from that legislator. Was it a good movie? Oh, it's a
1: great movie. In fact, uh I have, uh, in association with some of my book signings, I've had a screening of the film, and the people who have seen it just love it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great Western, a great movie, a, a terrific cast, and it shows off Zion National Park and the historic ghost town of Grafton in a way that it has never been seen uh, since that time. Yeah, it's a very good movie.
0: Do you have a favorite movie filmed in Utah?
1: I do. I do. And unfortunately, it's a film that's very hard to get hold of because it's never been on home video, but you can see it on Turner Classic Movies or the Western Channel. It's a Western taken from the famous Will James novel, *Smoky*, And the 1946 Technicolor version, made by 20th Century Fox, starred Fred McMurray and Baxter and was the very first film of a later Academy Award winner, Burl Ives, the balladeer, the hmm. wonderful uh, smooth singer of great American songs, and it's the it's the story of a cowhand, Fred McMurray, who finds this beautiful stallion and tries to save him from rodeo promoters and thieves and other people. It's a beautiful movie.
0: Hmm. Well, by the way, you've you've updated the book for the second edition. I'm wondering. Um As you look forward and maybe future editions, what will you have your eye on in terms of the future of movie making in Utah?
1: I will be looking uh, as to the types of films that filmmakers find suitable for the Utah landscapes or the urban landscapes. And also I'll be looking to see how well Utah does in relation to other states and indeed, other countries, such as uh, Canada, And Australia and the direction in which filmmaking goes and how developed the talent is in the state of Utah. I I think there's an exciting future for the motion picture industry in the state of Utah and apparently so do readers. I think even my publisher may have been surprised that the first edition of this book sold out in 16 months and gave me an opportunity to bring the story all the way up to the end of 2011. We'll see when we do the third edition.
0: Hmm. We just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, I wonder what's going to be going on at at BYU, there at the Motion Picture Archive.
1: Well, uh, for the past uh, 13 years, I have directed the BYU Motion Picture Archive film series, where we show classic American films twice a month. And we are starting our season this fall with um, that great romantic drama, uh, Sabrina, with Audrey Hepburn, William Holden, Humphrey Bogart. And for those who would like to find out the schedule, they can get on to the uh, Special Collections website at BYU. And uh, they, they can just Google L. Tom Perry Special Collections and click on events and they can get our series schedule. And these are free, and they're actually shown on film. We don't project video. These are rare film prints that we show of classic American films. And we're even going to be showing one of those covered in my book called The Conqueror, where John Wayne plays Genghis Khan, <laughs> and southern Utah, Snow Canyon by uh, by St. George, Stands in for uh, 12th century Mongolia.
0: Oh, yeah. it's fascinating film. I've seen the movie. It's it's worth the. It's it's worth, I think John Wayne plays a character named Hulagu or something. And yeah, it's 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 worth Temurgen. the Temujin. No, Temujin becomes yeah. Genghis
1: Khan. <laughs> and uh, the film is, has been quite controversial since then because that was being filmed during the time that there was above ground uh, atomic bomb testing. And it was largely from the from the publicity surrounding that film that the whole downwinders issue got raised.
0: Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the cast and crew uh, died later of cancer, didn't they?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yes, including John Wayne.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, we are going to go out with a couple of clips. Uh, we'll uh, let, let's hear a, a bit from 127 Hours and uh, and then Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Just a little bit of each one to, to go out, just to give you a flavor of movie making in Utah. The book is When Hollywood Came to Town: A History of Movie Making in Utah. The author is James Dark, who is curator of BYU Motion Picture Archives. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure as well. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It is seven here in Canyonland USA hey Aaron mom still has not heard from you will you just call her please
1: I'll talk to you soon this morning on the boulder we have a very special guest
0: Aaron (laughs) Ralston. kid the next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia let's go someplace like Bolivia next time ready No, we'll jump. Like hell we will. No, it'll be okay. If the water's deep enough, we don't get squished to death. they will never follow us. How do you know? Would you make a jump like that? Last week on Car Talk, once again, we were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I think you have a bad oxygen sensor. Bad oxygen sensor. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's, yeah, 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 yeah. And that would cause that light
0: to go on. No, 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 no. <laughs> me. For more clear and concise car advice, join us this week for Car Talk.
1: Saturday mornings at
0: 10 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio. KUSR HD 1, 89.5 Logan. KUSK HD 1, 88.5 Vernal. KUSL HD 1, 89.3 Richfield. KUST HD 1, 88.7 Moab. And KUSUFM HD 1, 91.5 Logan. And thank you for listening to Utah Public Radio. Now tune in for the Zesty Garden.